The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey guys, I hope you enjoy these classic episodes from the TDIHC Vault. I'm currently researching a new crop of stories for next year, so be sure to join me again on January 2nd when we return with all new episodes. Talk to you soon. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and I'd like to thank Christopher Hasiotis for filling in for me for the previous seven episodes. Today is December 17th, and December 17th marks the beginning of Saturnalia, Although we don't know exactly what year the ancient Romans observed Saturnalia for the first time. This was, though, a very popular Roman holiday honoring the god Saturn. It was probably the most popular of all the Roman festivals. And one of the things that Saturn was associated with was agriculture, both sowing and harvesting. And this festival happened at the end of the autumn harvest and the beginning of the winter planting cycle. Originally, this was just a single-day observance on the 17th. And by the reign of Emperor Augustus, which lasted from 27 BCE until he died in 14 CE, it had become a two-day event. People had been celebrating it at that point for at least 200 years. Over time, Saturnalia got longer and longer and more elaborate. It started overlapping the winter solstice. It was lasting for seven entire days, although some emperors tried to rein it in a little bit, cut it down to maybe a more manageable five days instead of seven. This was not just a time for drinking and feasting. People shut down their businesses, including for this entire seven-day stretch. They took a break from all their work. Various codes of proper behavior became more and more relaxed. For example, people were allowed to gamble, which wasn't acceptable in a lot of other circumstances. Enslaved people were temporarily given more freedoms. And some folks have made connections to today's observances of Mardi Gras in terms of what the atmosphere was like. There was a lot 
of partying and revelry. At the end of this festival, there was also a presentation of gifts, usually of candles and of wax figures and wax models of fruit. People also decorated their homes with greenery. The statue of Saturn in his temple in Rome was typically bound with woolen rope, but during Saturnalia, those bonds would be cut during the festival. Saturnalia continued to be observed after the Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity, which happened in the year 312. That made the Roman Empire at least officially a Christian empire. But pagan religions did continue to be observed, and pagan observances continued to happen. So for a time, Christian holidays and pagan holidays and and festivals were really being observed at the same time. So a lot of people point to Saturnalia as the origin point for Christmas in the Western church, and including both the date that it's celebrated and some of the traditions involved in celebrating it. And this, I mean, it makes a lot of logical sense. Saturnalia and Christmas were both being observed in the Roman Empire because of the shifting of Saturnalia and the lengthening of it that put it right up against December 25th. But there were also other pagan celebrations happening on the 25th of December as well, some of them with closer parallels to Christianity than Saturnalia had. The Roman civic holiday of Sol Invicta was also observed on December 25th, and the cult of Mithras celebrated the birth of their god on December 25th. And the story of the birth of Mithras has a lot of parallels to the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. So while Saturnalia may have had some influence on the timing of Christmas or some Christmas traditions, especially in the Western church, it's also really likely that other celebrations happening in the early centuries of the religion played their own part as well. You can learn a little bit more about Saturnalia in the December 23rd, 2009 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. Thanks very much to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can tune in tomorrow for a discovery, if you could call it that. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hi again, everyone. It's Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show where history waits for no one. The day was December 17, 1790. The Aztec sunstone, a circular stone marked by carvings of calendar signs and images related to the Aztec creation myth, was rediscovered. Though it has been called a calendar stone, archaeologists today believe that it was not used as an astronomical device or sundial, but rather as a ceremonial container related to the Aztec sun god Tonatiu. The Aztec sunstone was probably carved sometime between 1502 and 1520, during the reign of Motecasuma II. The center of the stone bears an image of what's thought to be the sun god Tonatiu, though some scholars have proposed that it's an image of the god of the night sun or the earth monster. The central image appears inside a glyph that means movement and represents the fifth sun or the present era that will end with the destruction of humankind. Tonatiu's hands appear as claws holding human hearts, and his tongue is a stone knife. The image of the sun god is framed by four boxes that contain symbols of the four previous suns or eras. Surrounding the central section is a ring depicting the signs that correspond to the 20 days of the Aztec solar calendar. Around that ring is a second ring with representations of sun rays and square sections, each containing five dots. The outermost ring depicts two fire serpents. And at the top of that ring is a glyph that represents the date 13 reed, which is said to correspond with the year 1427 and the beginning of the fifth sun. The stone is about 12 feet or 4 meters in diameter and weighs more than 24 short tons. The stone may have been originally located in the ceremonial precinct of Tenochtitlan and placed horizontally near where human sacrifices took place. After the Spanish conquest, religious officials buried it underneath the Zocalo, the central plaza of Mexico City. Workers who were leveling and remodeling the plaza dug up the stone on December 17, 1790. It was examined by archaeologists, then moved to a cathedral, and later transferred to the monolith gallery of the Archaeological Museum. There have been many interpretations of the stone's meaning. Scholars have said that it may have been used as a repository for human hearts or a base for the final sacrificial of a gladiatorial combatant. Soon after its rediscovery, Mexican scholar Antonio de Leon y Gama wrote a treatise on the stone and hired artist Francisco de Aguera to illustrate an image of the monument. Leon y Gama and other early scholars suggested that the stone was used as an astronomical or timekeeping device. Scholars have also suggested that the stone was used to represent rulership, death, sacrifice, and the success of Aztec armies. The stone is currently housed at the National Museum of Anthropology in Mexico City. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Give us a shout or a share on social media at TDIHC Podcast. 
Or if you would prefer to email us, you can send us a message at thisday at iheartmedia.com. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that examines the ins and outs of everyday history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're looking at a critical moment in the development of modern American mass culture, the rise of the fashion magazine. The day was December 17th, 1892. Vogue magazine, a journal of high society and fashion, released its inaugural issue. Founded as a weekly publication, the lifestyle magazine focused on what it described as, quote, the ceremonial side of life. This included social etiquette, trends, and traditions, as well as reviews of books, music, and live theater. Unlike today, the magazine was explicitly targeted to both men and women, and men's columns were a common feature in early issues. Vogue also reported on the lives of wealthy New York socialites, a subject of growing interest to everyone during what Mark Twain referred to as the Gilded Age. That period in the late 19th century marked America's transition from a largely agrarian society into one centered on industry. This revolution brought exceeding wealth to a handful of business magnates and robber barons. Those high-profile families had capitalized on the era's breakthroughs in transportation and communication, and those same advances then allowed them to show off their wealth like no one had before. In New York, the ruling class built lavish estates in Manhattan 
and hosted extravagant dinner parties, some of which were even conducted on horseback for maximum poshness. As you might expect, their glamorous social lives were a constant source of gossip, not just amongst themselves, but also among those in the middle class who aspired to live just as excessively. Luckily for them, the modern world came with plenty of new ways to take a glimpse at how the other half lived, one of which was the mass-market magazine. America's growing obsession with the lives of the well-to-do caught the attention of a businessman named Arthur Baldwin Turnier, and he looked to the budding magazine industry as the perfect way to give the public its fix. Turnier saw, as he put it, endless opportunities for running comment and occasional rebuke of New York high society. To that end, he founded Vogue, an entire magazine devoted to the socialite lifestyle. In fact, its early issues kept close tabs on the lives of a group of well-known members of the upper crust called the 400. The nickname was a reference to the 400-person capacity of the Astor family's ballroom, a popular gathering place for the city's elite. The first issue of Vogue hit newsstands and subscriber mailboxes on December 17, 1892. Its cover featured a black-and-white drawing of a debutante emerging from what appears to be a cloud of butterflies and roses. Although Vogue covers are now famous for their striking color photography, drawings were used exclusively for the first few decades of the magazine's existence. It wasn't until 1932 that the magazine used a color photo on its cover. The interior pages of the debut issue featured plenty of other detailed illustrations. One page even includes the first appearance of the Vogue Girl, a kind of mascot figure created by the magazine's first art director. The character's style changed with the times, so in her first appearance, she's wearing a corseted dress with a wide hoop skirt and a big gaudy hat. Those fashion choices may have been popular at the time, but the magazine's first editor, Josephine Redding, didn't see what all the fuss was about. In an editorial, she took aim at the trend of puffy shoulders, wide hips, and tall hats, writing, quote, What plausible reason can possibly be assigned for a 19th century woman pretending, at intervals, to the possession of a big head, enlarged small of the back, abnormal growth of hip, exaggerated breadth of shoulder? The hump defies classification. Each variety is unique and owns no kinship to its predecessors. I guess that was one of the occasional rebukes that Vogue's founder had talked about. Speaking of Turnier, he passed away in 1906, and soon after, his magazine was acquired by Condé Montrose Nast, the founder of Condé Nast Publications. Under its new leadership, Vogue became a bi-weekly, and its focus shifted almost entirely to women's beauty and fashion. These changes expanded the magazine's readership and helped establish its role as a fashion authority and trendsetter. More changes came during the First World War, when it became impossible to ship the magazine to Europe. This led to Vogue being printed overseas in England for the first time. 
European readership grew from there, eventually prompting the launch of international editions focused on the fashion trends of different countries. The first of these ventures was French Vogue, which debuted in 1920. In the decades since, more than 20 other international titles have been launched, including everything from Vogue Japan to Vogue Saudi Arabia. Styles have certainly changed since 1892, and some have even circled back around to prominence. But through it all, Vogue has remained popular and relevant to fashion fans around the globe. And that's a trend that's likely to continue for as long as people have an interest in looking good. Or at least in reading about the lives of good-looking people. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. You can also write to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.